Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure, is sponsored by SJNL General Contractors. They are licensed in both Alabama and Tennessee, and they provide services such as mass grading, storm drainage, sewer and concrete improvement, asphalt paving, erosion control, demolition, and heavy hauling. If you need any of these services, contact them 931-433-4660, 931-433-4660. Also, they are in need of heavy equipment operators, concrete finishers, CDL dump truck drivers, and pipe layers. If you're interested in employment with this family-owned business, you can go to the website www.sjnl.com. That's www.sjnl.com. It could have been a statement, or it could have been a question. He was leaned up against the wall of the foyer of an old rural Mississippi church building. One of his legs was bent, and his foot was flat against the wall, and he wore a billed cap. He was lean, kind of a anorexic version of Ernest T. Bass. He looked at me as I walked out of the little auditorium and into the foyer and said, You like to frog hunt, preacher? To which I answered that I did indeed like to frog hunt. I think I had been talking about temptation and that you could not tempt someone to do something that they didn't like. You could not tempt something to do something they didn't want to do. I said, you can't tempt my wife to go frog gigging because my wife's afraid of the dark and doesn't like snakes. That prompted in his hearing, I guess, that I was a fellow frog hunter. And so he said, if you come Thursday night, I'll take you in. And so Thursday night came, and I preached the uh, Thursday night lesson in a series of uh, gospel meeting lectures that I was doing. And then we went outside the building, and uh, I got my clothes, came back inside and changed, put on a pair of BDUs, some old black boots, and a T-shirt probably. And, and we went to his truck, and he had an old pickup truck with a flat-bottom aluminum boat, a, a small flat bottom aluminum boat not not the typical you know 10 or 12 footer it was a a very small uh, aluminum boat and uh, as i got in the truck he said now we're going down to the delta and uh, you be careful what you say because folks down there will cut you i said "I, i i i need to go back to the truck i went back to my vehicle and i came back wearing a green vest this vest had uh, a pleated elastic band at the bottom it had snap buttons It had two oversized cargo pockets in the front, and beneath those cargo pockets were actual hand pockets. Uh, I bought it uh, at a Walmart in Ash Flat, Arkansas, and the buttons on the vest say Faded Glory. That's the little company that made this little canvas vest, and it was my pistol vest. Because beneath the green vest was a shoulder holster, an inverted shoulder holster carrying a stainless steel Ruger GP100 357 Magnum. I didn't want anybody in the Delta to cut me. So I hopped in the truck and we drove out into the back roads of rural Mississippi. Now we didn't go to the river, we didn't go to a lake, and we didn't go through a a series of ponds. We drove around a long time just stopping on these low water concrete bridges and shining a light down these irrigation ditches. These straight, long irrigation ditches. The the, uh, topography of the land was flat, 
and apparently they had cut the roads and cut the ditches to, to go along with the section lines because they would just disappear into nothingness. I don't know what made one ditch different than another ditch, except maybe that when he shined the light, you could see the eyes of frogs. I, I don't know, but we, we finally found a ditch that he liked. We drug the boat out of the bed of this little pickup truck, and we balanced it precariously on the edge of this high culvert. The culvert was covered in uh, vines and kudzu and blackberry bushes. And he said, now you sit there and I'll launch the boat. I sat there and he got behind the boat and began to push it across the ground. We went over the uh, vines and it took a nosedive into this ditch. He piled into the back of it. The boat hit with a horrendous crash. Water splashed everywhere. And when the rocking subsided, he crawled past me and sat in the front of the boat. And here we were in an irrigation ditch, the sides of which had to be at least 12 foot tall, covered in vines. Behind us was this concrete structure that served as the bridge. And then we shined the flashlight in the other direction, and the beam was consumed by the utter blackness of the Mississippi night. He produced a small wooden boat paddle, not a, a traditional length boat paddle, but a, a little tiny small boat paddle. And uh, he started guiding us down the black, inky water in the Mississippi night. Now, our night was going to be productive. We were going to end up killing eight frogs. Eight frogs and subsequently the pairs of legs, 16 legs, filled a gallon freezer bag with just frog legs. We were killing the frogs. I had brought with me from Alabama a Hawaiian pole spear, an aluminum shaft with a piece of surgical tubing on the back, and a three-pointed prongless uh, or barbless prongs. They, they, you know, a triangle pattern. They call it a stunner tip. <laughs> it does more than stun. Uh, they use it to catch fish, and I had uh, conscripted it and and modified it into my weapon of choice for killing frogs. He had a very short. 22 rifle, a bolt action 22 rifle, about the size of the, the modern version that, that you would call a chipmunk rifle. You, the little rifles you buy for, for a youth model 22s. I think this was actually just a cut down version of a 22. Uh, the barrel either had been built or machined, had a little wooden stock. It was shorter than a carbine, and we were killing frogs with that too. And we were eased down, and, and th this ditch wasn't much wider than the boat. And so anything on the bank was easily accessible. We had access to it, 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 and it had access to us, the frogs and the snakes included. We ended up killing, like I said, eight frogs and seven snakes. The one snake that, that we was of note was swimming beside the boat. I looked out, and beside the boat, it was past, well, its head was past me and, and headed toward my guide and, and really... If you take your left hand and put it over your right hand, that's what it looked like the size of that snake's head was to me. And the snake was swimming on top of the water. Now, in general terms, nothing's 100%. Snakes don't get a manual and say, if you're this kind of snake, swim this way. If you're this kind of snake, don't swim this way. But in general terms, non-venomous snakes, and, and snakes aren't poisonous, they're venomous. Poison is ingested, venom is injected. Uh, the same thing with spiders. You don't have a poisonous spider. You have a venomous spider because they bite you and, and the venom gets in you, the toxin, whatever. Mushrooms are not venomous. They are poisonous. 
because you eat the mushrooms and then they kill you. Anyway, this snake was swimming on top of the water. Your little banded water snakes and your harmless snakes, typically their heads come out of the water and their bodies are submerged. Now, that's not 100% true, but your copperheads, your rattlesnakes, and your water moccasins are swimming on top of the water. This monstrous specimen of a snake was swimming on top of the water. And, and I'm talking a, a, a Boone and Crockett water moccasin. This dude was bigger around than my forearm. I don't have any idea how long it was. Because as he swam just past me and, and I got my guide's attention, he took that little twenty-two rifle, turned to his right, extended his arm out over the water and toward the snake, pulled the trigger. The snake listed sideways and its belly came up and he began to writhe in the water. And he took the boat paddle and stuck it under the snake and then lifted it. Now, this, this snake, there's snake in the water, there's snake going over the boat paddle, and there's snake in the water, and he's turning to his right and dragging that snake into the boat and going to pile it up way closer to me than I want to be to this snake. And as the head of that snake drags over the edge of the boat, its mouth opened, and then the world exploded without any conscious thought. I threw that magnum out of my shoulder holster and fired at that snake. It sounded like thunder in that little ditch. It rolled out through the irrigated fields, and the flash of that barrel and, and, and the, the explosion that comes out of the cylinder lit the night up like lightning. Snake parts went everywhere, and as, as the, the echo was dying down and snake parts were raining, I heard, you shot my boat paddle. I said, well, you're going to put that snake in my lap. You shot that bow paddle. That snake was not dead. You shot my bow paddle. That snake was alive. You shot my bow paddle. I don't care. That snake didn't need to be in this boat. You shot my bow paddle. I said, that snake was going to bite me. You shot my bow paddle. And I backed the hammer on that magnum. And I calmly said, is this going to be an issue the rest of the evening? And he said, no, I, I, I think we'll get past it. And and we did. I've never had a negligent discharge with my pistol. I've never fired at anything I didn't intend to kill and never fired before I was ready to fire. On this night in Mississippi, something came over me and I fired that pistol, sending 125 grain semi-jacket semi at a hollow point into a snake and I guess as it encountered the snake, the 125-grain hollow point began to mushroom, and the little wooden boat paddle took the full impact of the uh, mushrooming pistol. I've never held a boat paddle that somebody else shot. I did hold a, a stick that had a, a plastic water bottle on top of it, and Sergeant Roberts and I were laying behind a berm and holding these uh, water bottles up, letting the snipers uh, shoot them. <laughs> and it's true, you, you wouldn't hear the shot that kills you. The water bottles would explode, and we'd get drenched with water, and then you'd hear the report of the gun. This guy heard and felt the magnum when I shot his boat paddle. <laughs> and, and I had good reason to shoot the boat paddle. Okay, this was not a negligent discharge. It was an unconscious discharge because what had happened was that snake was coming toward me. It opened its mouth. It was nearly between my feet, and I did not want it in the boat. Now, regardless of my rationalization, regardless of my justification, 
regardless of any excuse that I'll make, the statement, you shot my boat paddle, is 100% accurate because I did indeed shoot the man's boat paddle. Now, I can spin it from my side. Perspective and perception have everything to do with every story you ever tell. If Cecil Burns had the Cecil Burns podcast, he would be sitting there saying, hey, this crazy preacher from Alabama was down here with me, and he was in a little boat, and he was scared of being in a little irrigation ditch, and he was absolutely irresponsible with his pistol, and he shot a perfectly good boat paddle because he's scared of a little bitty snake. Not 100% accurate there. The snake was not little bitty. It was a leviathan. It was a Boone and Crockett water moccasin. But depending on whose story you hear, you get a different side. You'll get a different perspective. And it really doesn't matter what he thinks of me, and it doesn't really matter what I think of him, and it really doesn't matter what he thinks his reasons are, and it doesn't really matter what I think my reasons are. The unavoidable, irrevocable truth is I shot his boat paddle. It is undeniable and irrevocable that his boat paddle has been shot. Now, he's got to decide what to do about it, and he's got to decide what to do about me, and he's got to decide what to do about himself. Now, in the grand scheme of things, a boat paddle is not that expensive of a thing and can be easily be replaced. I don't doubt that there's some sentimental attachment to this one particular boat paddle. But he's got to decide. Will he let the fact that I shot his boat paddle define him? Will he let his shot boat paddle define me? Will he let the fact that his boat paddle has been shot define who we are as frog hunters, friends, people, Christians, people? See, when we talk about regrettable events and, and, and some things happen and they happen because somebody's out of control. Sometimes they happen because somebody's evil. Sometimes they happen because somebody is in immature, naive, or just selfish. Now there's accountability. I am accountable for what I did with my 357 that night and what I did to his bow paddle. In the grand scheme of things, it's fairly inconsequential and entertaining. But what about those things that aren't inconsequential and those things that aren't entertaining and they've been done to us? And the perpetrators of those things may can articulate their reasons, an emotional state of mind, a moment of panic, a moment of rage, a moment of misunderstanding, a moment of selfishness, whatever. It's irrevocable. It's not possible to undo it. It's unundoable. And what will you do with it? You can forever hold a grudge, you can forever be unforgiving, or you can simply set some limits and say, I forgive you, but you can't be in my boat anymore. I forgive you, but if you get in my boat, you can't have a pistol. I forgive you and we're friends, but 
you sit in the front of the boat. Whatever limit has to be set is, is allowable. I think that we can forgive without 100% reconciliation. Now, when God forgives, he always reconciles. Uh, reconciliation and forgiveness are always the same thing with God. But I believe as people, we can say, hey, you're forgiven, but things aren't going to go back to normal. I'm not going to wish you any harm. I'm not going to wish you any bad things. But the thing that was done is not undoable. And so there's got to be a change in us. And, and and I don't know that I can articulate or even debate that that interpersonal forgiveness versus intrapersonal forgiveness uh, is is even a true concept. But you know, if you wreck my truck, I can sue you. I can sue your insurance company, or I cannot sue you and not sue your insurance company. And the next time you want to borrow my truck, I toss you the keys, or I can. Let your insurance company pay for my truck. And the next time you want to borrow my truck, I can just simply ask, what are you trying to move? And when you tell me, I'll say, well, what time do you want me to be over? And, and I bring you my truck and I drive it. And you still have use and access of my truck. It's just not a truck you're going to drive anymore. That's an example of interpersonal versus intrapersonal forgiveness. It's We're forgiven, but we're not going to go back to the same level. You don't have the same access to my truck. I don't know that I can argue that as a valid concept in, in Christianity, although I think possibly I can. But even when there are regrettable events and you end up with a hurt, you end up with a wrecked truck or a shot boat paddle, as it were, you do get to decide whether or not your identity becomes a shot boat paddle or not. So you got to decide what you're going to do with your boat paddle. you got to decide what you're going to do with me. But you've also got to decide whether or not your boat paddle defines you. John Conley, in his famous discussions about trauma, would do it this way. I have a boat paddle. But I am not a boat paddle. And don't you dare call me a boat paddle. And just because something happened to my boat paddle doesn't mean that it defines me. Because my boat paddle is not me. Now you can extrapolate those meanings and you can apply them to physical abuse, emotional neglect, sexual abuse. And you really do get to decide what you do about what happened to your, your boat paddle. It can't be undone. It can't be taken back. But you don't have to be defined by what happened to the boat paddle.
There are 32 miles of cave passages in Cumberland Cavern. 333 feet underground is the Volcano Room. The Volcano Room is the site for the youth rally known as Erupt. It's an underground youth rally. It's an annual event. It takes place in October. The next Erupt is scheduled for October of 2021. Erupt is a sponsor of Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. If you'd like more information, you may contact them at eruptyouthrally at gmail.com. That's eruptyouthrally at gmail.com. Or check out their website for more information, three W's and a dot, eruptyouthrally.com, www.eruptyouthrally.com. Keeping up with Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. I am your host, Lonnie Jones. My wife Jackie and I moved to the city of Huntsville in 1986 for me to be a youth and family minister. I have been a minister since 1980. I have served in this community as a police chaplain assigned to a SWAT team since 1992. And I've been in private practice as a licensed professional counselor since 1998. I'm also an adventure educator and an avid outdoorsman. I dabble in rock climbing and I goof around with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Our life has been full of many wonderful experiences and some just outright adventures. I used to write about those things in a little church bulletin article. So now instead of asking you to read those things, we're just going to talk about them in our podcast. And as we talk about them, we're going to talk about the facts. The facts lead to concepts, and the concepts lead to application. One caveat about the facts is, for the most part, we're going to tell you the facts just as they happened. But every now and then, we're going to tell you the way other people have told us they remember it happening with a little bit of embellishment. It's all good, clean fun and for educational purposes. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy Keeping Up with Jones.